Boag World is brought to you by Headscape.co.uk. It's supported by Shopify.com, a design-friendly e-commerce solution. For information, go to Shopify.com forward slash Boag World. On this week's show, Ryan and Stanton take the helm. We interview Simon Collison on client collaboration and answer your questions about improving your design skills. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Welcome to the 175th episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. Yay! (laughs) I think that's the first time I ever got through that. Well done. How are you doing, sir? I'm not too bad, how are you? I'm not so bad at all. So obviously, you can tell by our northern accents that Paul and Marcus aren't here this week. No, the northerners are back. Yay! Yay. Representing the north. Where's Paul gone? I can't remember. He's gone to Ireland. I don't know. Oh, France, France, France. It's gone to France. France. Yeah. They're quite, and they're next door to each other. Yeah, they're not far. Spitting distance. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah. There's no really south of Yorkshire anyway. <laughs> it's all just, it's all just hearsay and nonsense. That's it. As long as it's in northern France and not southern France. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, it's probably going to be a quick show this week. Um... I'm guessing so, it depends how much we waffle on. Do you know that this is the first episode that we've ever done where there's been an interview? Is it? Yeah, Paul's always lumbered it so that we've had to write a feature. Oh, you see. So it's going to be like half the show's just gone with an interview. How easy is awesome. that? Awesome. See, this this job's just so easy when when you get down to it. People think that, oh, they record it every week, but they don't. Hmm? They just sit and waffle for five minutes and fill it with Inter- interviews. Yeah, and bits and pieces and just... Uh, but it's always a complicated one when we have to do it normally, but, uh, <laughs> but this week's going to be a lot easier, so... Uh, Let's move on to the news. Okay. Right, so first up uh, uh, on the news section is a two-part video series on carsonify.com called How to Design a Portfolio Site. This is where Elliot J. Stocks shares his advice and experience. Uh, If you're a freelancer, you'll know how important your portfolio is to your business. And these two 30-minute screencasts are filled with useful information, such as the three key concepts to make a portfolio site, how to build great case studies that reinforce your expertise, the ultimate portfolio checklist, how to use narrative theory to strengthen your portfolio, how to take your design from Photoshop to HTML and CSS, how to integrate your design into a CMS like WordPress, and lots, lots more. Uh, I'm also going to give a slight plug here to my co-host Ryan, as you've just published a video interview with Elliot on your site, havocinspired.co.uk, haven't you? I have indeed. And this is where he interviews Elliot and asks about his career and how he got where he is today. Uh, both definitely recommended viewing. It's, uh, I'm always I'm, I'm a bit jealous of Elliot, not because of his phenomenal career, but that massive loft conversion that he works. <laughs> I've seen it on other videos. I saw, and it's the same place on the two videos. Yeah. I thought, I, when, I, when, nice. when I did see him, I thought, I'm oh, thinking, oh no, he's wearing different clothes. He recorded them <laughs> on a different days. So I thought he did it all at the same time. Or <laughs> <laughs> he might just been wearing the clothes on the same clothes on different days, which would have been a bit grim. Yeah. Have you watched through them? I've not, I've not had a chance to watch through his, um, his his videos yet. Yeah, I've watched through. I watched through everything. I watched through the two. Two uh, portfolio videos today, and they are actually really useful. And mm. it's made me want to 
kind of reinvent my portfolio when I, when I find the time, which is a classic problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really a freelance, but I can see the benefits of anyone who is looking to pick up work to to make sure your own site's got a bit of polish and not always think, oh, I'm too busy to concentrate on my own site. Yeah, actually, yeah. make some time because it will reward you in the long run. Yeah, because I think I think um, I think people do. You know, there's the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover, but I think when you work in the web, everything's judged on how things look. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, very, it's a visual medium, so I think if you don't have a, um, a nice site, then people kind of can glaze over you and ah, no, I'm not going to look at that. So it's well, very, very important. Especially if you're competing with other designers. Absolutely. People want to see what you can do. Yeah. And uh, we've worked with an agency where I work um, in London. Big agency, deal with a lot of big clients. <laughs> and their portfolio is just their company name really bottom right hand corner just their company name and that's it and they're the kind of people that can get away with oh you know who I am you know who we are yeah that's all we need to know we're far too busy working with these blue chip companies to work on our own site Mm -hmm. but for your normal freelancer then yeah put some effort in there there are a lot of companies out there that do just go on word of mouth and through reputation Um, the company I work for is a classic example they haven't got a website yet some of that I'll be developing for them soon but a very successful company, and they've done it through reputation. Yeah, and uh, and and do work for blue chip companies, you know. So it's it's that's another big thing. But it's nice to have a central place, a nice hub to have all your uh, bits and pieces on. I think. I uh, just my glorified CV at the moment. So I had a look at your CV today, actually. I did. I looked through to your site. It's looking good, is that? It's not bad. Yeah, it's building up and some new stuff putting on. But mm. I've had a few. Uh, so I've got my online CV, and I. Um, give some love to my LinkedIn profile as well mm. and started getting a few phone calls from uh, from agencies and recruiters and stuff which is I'm not taking them up on their offers but it's still nice to be called yeah, especially yeah. on the back of actually putting some effort into my uh, yeah. online stuff it's nice to have options yeah so the next news article is um, well Paul talked last week about microcopy uh, and how important that can be and another article passed my way this week which kind of further highlights just how powerful this can be and how A-B testing can help improve uh, your calls to action this is an article by Dustin Curtis and he performed an experiment on his website over the past few months where he tested a specific call to action on his website which was to try and get people to follow him on Twitter uh, measured the number of click-throughs that each different version generated and has posted them on this blog. So he started with a statement, I'm on Twitter, which clicked through to his Twitter profile. And this was the baseline, and this led to a 4.7% click-through rate against his visitors. Then he switched it to a command, which said, follow me on Twitter. So rather than saying, here I am, this is like an actual command, follow me. This resulted in an increase of 55% which is not too shabby and then he went on to try a stronger personal command which was you should follow me on twitter which increased even more and then he finally added a literal call out which is you should follow me on twitter here and that's where the link was and overall the click through is increased by 173% showing just how much of an impact microcopy and A-B testing can have on your site and it might be something you want to explore this reminds me of um, a tweet that's um uh, Ryan Carson put out today when he was saying that the um, Carsonified Twitter account had doubled in followers since they added the Tweet Me Me plugin into WordPress on Think for, for Think Vitamin. So you you can click through and do a retweet right. straight from the blog. You know, not 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 new that's been out for ages. Yeah. But since they added that in, apparently they've doubled the number of followers that the right. Carsonified account has got. Um, so it just 
make when you make it easy for somebody, you know, and obvious for somebody to do something, because anybody can retweet a link, but once something's there, yeah, and it's just a click, the people are more inclined to just go, oh yeah, go on then, <laughs> you know, you make it, it's in the face and stuff, not in the face, but you know what I mean, if it's there and it's easy to do. Yeah, this is like the um, Boag links Twitter feed that we all these news articles go out on, where Paul wanted it to say retweet please at the mm. end of each tweet and we had a spirited debate over a few pints of beer <laughs> and I agreed to put it in um, but I've never been able to properly test because the number of followers increases over time mm. and the different times of day which the tweets go out will be in effect so it's, I can't really tell if it's worked or not I suspect it has mm. but there's been a, a couple of tweets going saying oh well you wouldn't ask us to retweet all the time mm. but they're very few and very far between yeah. But probably after saying it now, I'll get inundated. <laughs> I missed last week's show about micro microcopy with being on holiday. <laughs> you so swanning off as well. Everyone's swanning off, but well, you know, it's got to be done. I said that I had last week off work too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me, answering my boss for a month over a month because it's just coincided that she's on holiday and I'm on holiday at the same time. So it's quite amusing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing usually. Not seeing your boss for a month. Yeah. Well, anyway, so our last item, and quite a contentious one, is a couple of big sites uh, waging war against IE6. So sometimes I sit back and wonder what life would be like without IE6. The whole world's sunny and I sit in a lush meadow on my laptop coding away without a care in the world. If only, eh? <laughs> so every so often someone sets the site on sites on IE6 and declares war. And we've seen this quite recently with the uh, end IE6 campaigns and the, the status bar that pops up on your website forcing people to upgrade or mm. prompting them. And most of the times we scoff knowing that IE6 has too many troops to be defeated. Um, but two new armies have stepped into the ring and the big armies at that. Dig.com and YouTube have both recently announced that they'll be taking sides against I6 sometime soon, and this was highlighted by Chris Hailman in a recent blog post. A post on the Dig blog shows that they've been researching the situation for quite some time, monitoring, monitoring the reduction in I6 use and weighing the number of visitors using the browser to the costs associated with developing specifically for it. Admittedly, the audience of Dig might be slightly biased towards a more tech-savvy crowd, so these results might need to be taken with a potential overdose of salt. But it's encouraging to see a fairly large outfit taking the time to research the situation, and I'm sure that they're, going, they're not going to shut off support completely, but concentrate the bells and whistles on the new and more capable browsers, leaving the content accessible for i6. YouTube have already started showing a message to i6 users, saying that they will be phasing out support for their browser soon, and recommending the user to upgrade. Chris points out that this might not be as impressive as it first seems, as 70% of YouTube's traffic is from embedded media. And he also points out that both Dig and YouTube are social websites, which are normally blocked by the kind of organisation which forces their users to use i6, so the true impact of the news remains to be seen. Yeah. I think the m bigger website, as the bigger websites start to drop support for i6, or, you know, and start pushing that support... More IT, you know, more IT departments and web departments within the companies that are still forcing IE6 are going to start thinking, well, support's now being dropped. It's an easier argument for them to upgrade because I, th I think sometimes IT departments will not upgrade to past IE6 because you know they're worried that things are going to break, yeah. and the argument is, well, it works at the minute, and they've got, you know, things like this happen, and they've got an argument then to say. Well, 
more and more websites are going to stop supporting IE6 we need to start looking at our internal infrastructure and upgrading what software is going to break and things and start spending some money in that because we're going to reach a point where we're going to have no choice yeah we need a millennium bug for, yeah. for IE6 <laughs> if Microsoft could turn around and say right every single version uh, this is pure fantasy but every single version <laughs> of IE6 will stop working on 31st of December 2011 mm-hmm everyone's got to upgrade the browser before then there'd be a massive cottage industry that would spring up to fix intranet sites and mm. things like that but maybe that's what's needed it'd be fantastic if Isaac just died one day I'd be inter- back and shot it I'd be interested to see any statistics I've not seen any or heard of any um, but when Facebook stopped yeah. supporting Isaac and put the big message up because that will reach just so many average non-developer type people you know just every, the average Joe yeah. and whether or not that encouraged them to upgrade you know to 7 and seven and 8 it, don't, it still is not going to do the companies that are restricting the upgrade of the browser but I, I, bet, there were, I bet there's been a steady drop off since that because everybody's on Facebook yeah that'd be interesting because the, the amount of media that it will get when it turns around because you know that the mainstream news will pick it up even if they don't really understand it mm it will be on the news and it will say Facebook's going to lock out so they might get bad press for it saying oh they're going to shut off access for people with this browser mm-hmm. but I think yeah, a site that nearly everyone uses like Facebook w- would be a massive win mm-hmm. but as, as it points out maybe because the social websites the organisations just still won't do it mm-hmm. and it all comes back to the defined support thing mm-hmm. doesn't it absolutely absolutely <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna, it's it's picking up momentum into you know five years ago and now, you know there's more and more bigger companies stopping and it, it's just gonna keep going over the next year or two and then I think we'll just start seeing IE6 is at five percent and then everybody just stops supporting <laughs> it, you know especially with IE8 being so, you know it's not brilliant, it's not perfect, yeah. but it does at least render you know you can open you you know you can des- you develop your website in Firefox or Safari or whatever and then you can open it in IE8 and I haven't had one break yet. You know, it's been quite close. Yeah. You know, so. But to be honest, some of the sites that I worked on recently, even i six hasn't been that bad mm. because it's getting to a point now where we're we're all familiar with it. Yeah. So you just it's just in ground in, isn't it? Yeah. So you you know the common problems, and you can use tools like the IE seven JS, which mm. will add in backwards compatibility to i six to make it look mm. and, well to make the support kind of like i seven, and I just throw that in right at the start and fix anything that doesn't help so maybe those tools will develop more mm. so that i6 alright it's still out there but it acts just like i7 and add, add the backward compatibility in absolutely well here's hoping ok so now we've got a interview with Simon Collison on client collaboration and we recorded this at um, Future of Web Apps tour in Leeds when he came up here, and it's a, it's a, it was a really good presentation, and uh, this is a real good interview. So enjoy. Okay, joining me today is Simon Collison. Hello, Simon. Hello, nice to be here. And we're at Future of Web Web Apps tour in Leeds, and uh, you've just done a talk this afternoon. It's a very good talk. I really enjoyed it. That's smashing. Thanks for that. And, uh, and and thought it'd be really good for our listeners to just cover a few a uh, few of the things that you talked about in that talk. Um, now your company, uh, remind me your company name? Uh, yep, Erskine Design. Erskine Design. Or Erskine, if Erskine. you're looking to impress, I think. Oh. Not quite sure where to stand on that. Where did that, uh, where did that name come from? Uh, it's 
is, uh, I think the origin of it uh, means upon the knife. Okay. Which is quite interesting. So obviously it's a place in Scotland, but there's also an old saying. Um, uh, and if you tweak it or in some way, or in this day and age, it means upon the knife, which we quite like right. for a design and development agency. Yeah. We often feel as if we're on the knife. Right. So, uh, yeah, works quite well. Cool. And, uh, and you, and you started off your talk by telling us about your biggest disaster. Which yes. I thought was quite interesting, but you were quite open about it, and uh, and that was the Vanilla Pages. That's right. Um, just for the benefit of his listeners, do you want to tell us what the Vanilla Pages was, is? is that sure, uh, definitely past tense. Past tense. Um, yes, the Vanilla Pages was an idea that was brought to us, uh, and we worked on that for a client team. Um, so it's very important to stress that. Um, it's not our disaster um, <laughs> as such. Um, we may have facilitated it. But basically, um, the Vanilla Pages was uh, an idea for a web app that uh, fitted a perceived niche in the fine food and drink arena. Um, the idea for the, for the Vanilla Pages uh, was that it was a uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year trade show. Right. Suppliers, wholesalers, buyers, kind of creating links and making connections, finding new sales opportunities. Uh, on the face of it, we thought this was a good idea. Also, Erskine had only just begun. So we were looking for new and interesting clients. And we met with the clients. We thought they had some good ideas. Uh, and we spent some time discussing what the process would be. Now, obviously, this is two or three years ago, and our process is very very different now, very well honed, uh, but at the same time we had enough experience as a team then, uh, where we, we were kind of discussing the need to understand the audience, really get to the bottom of this niche and find out well what do people really want, will they use X, will they want to do Y and so on. Uh, and initially this was like yeah this sounds great, oh we, yeah and then we, we signed everything and we began work and instantly we found that our suggestions were being thrown out. Um, there was uh, very little room for us to use our experience to make suggestions and say, you know, have you thought about this? Why don't we get a focus group together? Why don't we ask some retailers some questions and so on? Uh, and as I showed in the presentation today, we then started to re receive incredibly detailed and colourful Excel documents, um, pretty much telling us everything we needed to do every nuance of the user experience was being dictated. Mm. Now we're not fools, uh, we stood up for ourselves uh, and we uh, illustrated many warnings uh, but it didn't really happen. Mm. And we continued the project and we launched it. Uh, it received quite a lot of advertising mm -hmm. and it failed. Mm. Um, and so yeah, today I introduced the, the presentation with a video that was created for it. Um, and then proceeded to rip that video apart, <laughs> which uh, was quite. And use that as a basis for everything else. Yeah, I know Ryan, Ryan's been uh, Ryan Carson's been recording the uh, the talks. So I'm sure that will appear on the. Uh, Excellent. I'm sure this will come point. back to haunt me. <laughs> I'm expecting an email from that client in the next few weeks. Yeah. But that, but but you're, you're telling us about that site and um, set up the entire theme for your uh, your talk, which was collaboration and 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 the process of collaboration with your users, um, and you came up with some. A list of points, a process that you kind of went through. Yeah. Um, which, uh, first one was collaborate and then research and then, um, could you just take us through that process? Yeah, sure. I mean, to address the point of collaboration, um, I think, uh, a, a point I made today was that it's a collaboration, uh, 
across all kind of boundaries. So uh, on one hand, it's the it's the design and development team itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, to quickly summarise that, uh, and this will be old news to to many pe- many listeners, but essentially um, the designer can talk to the developer, mm-hmm. the project manager, or heaven forbid, account <laughs> manager. Mm-hmm. Um, knows as much as the designers, the developers, and so on. Everybody is aware of every aspect of the project, or as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this gets away from that production line approach and allows the developer, to use labels here, uh, to dictate or suggest ideas to the designer, mm-hmm. and so on. Because he or she is armed with enough information and understanding through the process to feel um, that they can contribute, that they're not going, I don't know if this is relevant, but... Why not make the suggestion? So a lot of collaboration within the within the office, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, if a, if it's a uh, an app for a client, then uh, obviously look to collaborate with them as much as possible. So it's not just a one way process. So uh, as many opportunities for focus groups, workshops, talking to stakeholders, investors, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that might be, and key to that. Um, the intended audience, which was the main point today as well, to collaborate with them from the earliest stage as best possible. Um, In terms of the process, uh, yes, collaborate at the top. It's more of a a reminder through the process. Uh, So We looked at things like research, um, uh, prototyping, Mm -hmm. testing, Mm -hmm. uh, rinsing and repeating that process really. Uh, If there's uh, an agile approach to what's happening, then you know there may well be a product launch, mm-hmm. then loop back and go through the thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and to summarise there again, it's uh, we were talking about uh, whether it's waterfall, agile, or a fast a fast sprint. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't make that decision until we'd spoken to the audience and we're beginning to get an idea of what they might need mm-hmm. or how best to pitch this website or application. Which I find quite interesting because you, 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 I, I seem to get the impression that as a company you you don't have a, a set process so you, you basically, you, you know, a new client comes in and you look at the audience and then you pick whether you're going to go through an agile process or a waterfall process. Whereas, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, oh, you must use agile and agile, agile, agile or, you know, waterfall's best, waterfall's best and you seem to, you, you referred to it actually as the organic collaborative process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I mean, it is very difficult to uh, in most situations with it, where there's a client involved, um, you need to respond to an RFP or some kind of brief. You need to reach an agreement over what's going to be done before they'll say yes. We'll you know we'll, we'll give you X amount of amount of pounds, and, and we'll build this together. Hopefully, um, it's very difficult to say take a leap of faith with us. Uh, we will put some of the pieces together shortly into the process mm-hmm. uh, we need to find out more first and get under the skin of what you want what your your intended audience might want so that's quite tricky some of the greatest things we've uh, worked on have been based in that leap of faith and we're taking one as well working with the client sometimes you know uh, we've learned that it doesn't always work out as it, as it might look and they take a leap of faith with us I guess a lot of it is kind of uh Proving through uh, previous work mm-hmm. and illustrating how that process worked. So it sounds a little trite, and I, I never want anything to sound arrogant, but a level of education. Mm. I think commissioning for the web is difficult for a lot of people. 
if we can help them understand what they need to do uh, and how we meet in the middle and how we collaborate, then you know we'll do everything we can because that's a great foundation for the project. Maybe slightly off topic of collaboration, but if you do, do you price differently for different processes? So whereas agiles may probably a lot more, much more extensive than just a waterfall method, would would you you take you you'd look at the project, pick which process you're going to use, and would you price accordingly depending on how thorough the process is, or or do you just look at projects and and you know just price it? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a killer question. Mm -hmm. It's it's the it's um, first of all um, we try and be as flexible as possible, and again that comes back to that leap of faith situation there may be a ballpark figure involved early on um, the ideal situation is that if it's a pitch for example um, we would kind of get the go-ahead if we've been fortunate without having to be too specific hopefully the illustration of our process and what we've done previously mm -hmm. and what we're aiming to do um, can be enough it, it's, it's, that is difficult if uh, the approach is going to be typically agile, it's obviously a very different beast to the waterfall process, where you can pretty clearly define, you know, we'll do A, B, C, D, we'll end at Z, mm -hmm. job done. Mm -hmm. uh, with agile, who knows, because exactly how many kind of releases might there be? What's going to be involved after the initial launch? So, very difficult. As a team, uh, we democratically discuss everything. Uh, everybody is involved and again collaborates on how we approach a potential job um, like a lot of people uh, and I'm sure there will be plenty of people listening who will uh, empathise with this uh, we've been burned many times mm -hmm. so we are extremely careful about it now so no, no set answer um, we work with whatever flexibility we're given ok um, moving slightly on you talked about um Logic, logo visual thinking mm. um, and it were these weird disc things yeah uh, um, which you look to have lots of fun, fun where you put pictures up and everything and we're all you want to just tell us a little bit about that yeah sure um, the product itself is uh, yeah logo visual thinking mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you why it's called that <laughs> um, logo logo bit I can get visual thinking yeah it's the logo bit I've <laughs> Maybe Mr. Logo invented it. I, I'm not sure. That'd be a great name. Um, the uh, the URL uh, I'm pretty sure is um, logovisual.com. In fact, it is. Um, and they produce loads of products. Um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. Should make that clear. Um, but I do wax lyrical about this. <laughs> Essentially, they are magnetic hexagons, but they also do all kinds of shapes and different tools. Yeah. And I think they're really they're used a lot in business. Yeah. You can just imagine the dry management meeting. Uh, come on, everyone, we're going to Imagineer for the next half an hour, yeah. and they'll break these things out. <laughs> um, it's possibly easiest for people to think along the lines of post-it notes or using something like that. Um, a classic example where we would use them. Uh, is we would get a, a stakeholder or workshop team together mm -hmm. uh, and a few of us uh, and we find that there are people in the room who might be contrib contributing a little less mm -hmm. you'll have you know um, Johnny Smartpants in the corner who knows everything about web 2.0 and he's throwing all these ideas in and there are some other people who think I wonder what they've got to contribute so give them a pen and a pile of magnetic hexagons um, and then give them a 
let's say for, for simplicity's sake, uh, list all the kinds of user you can foresee using this product or website. Um, go into detail rather than say government. Talk about specific roles. Um, you know what what kind of people within a government department might use this thing, uh, and why. Uh, they all go away, and because there's no pressure, they write whatever they want. We bring that together. And then we'll look at grouping these items in a particular way. Uh, the example I used today uh, was audience grouping. We prefer to work with uh, a broader brushstroke than the typical user persona. Mm -hmm. So you've got Johnny or Mary who, um, you know, Johnny does this, Mary does that. She knows about this, but not that, etc. Sometimes we and or the client forget exactly what Johnny's supposed to be. They have to go check. So with these tools, we'll, we'll take everything that people have contributed and we'll, we'll group them into four or five maybe audience groups. We'll then label those groups uh, and then they will be in our minds throughout the process. So for example, um, we'll have a hierarchy. It might be that it's a government site. It might be there's a certain kind of user is hierarchy one. A certain type of group is hierarchy two and so on. Uh, and the outcome will be we will do some lo-fi diagrams um, and look at where typically would this somebody from this audience group arrive? Mm -hmm. What might they do while they're there? And vitally, what action might they take? What might be their outcome? Uh, what do we want them to do? Uh, so we use these, these logo visual tools uh, for things like that. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we just have them on, around as whiteboards, and we'll they'll be around for a project. We'll move them around on the boards because they're hexagons. You can group them beautifully, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, have a look at LogoVisual.com. There's some good ideas on there of how people are using it. And you talked about having a, a project space in your office, yeah. didn't you? Um, which you, you brought up this, data, this picture of a, of a really impressive, actually, all these things stuck to your walls and everything. Yeah, it was, um, well, th that particular example was from the uh, ErskineDesign.com redesign. Mm -hmm. So we really did go hell for leather on that one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we're, uh, we're fortunate to have quite a large office space. Um, I'm not bragging there because it's got no heating, single glazing windows, it's freezing, uh, it hasn't got enough plug sockets, it's kind of rubbish, um, but we love it. And it's, it's a creative space. It's yours. It is ours, which is wonderful. <laughs> Although we share with a, an idiosyncratic little illustrator called John Bergerman who's gradually spreading himself through the office, <laughs> uh, but we love him. Um, so yeah, we set aside a, an area of the, of the office. Um, if there's a spare computer, we'll stick a computer in the middle. So we can access online information, but really it's offline scrapbooking. So, uh, you know, we print out typefaces, we rip bits out of magazines, classic stuff. Um, as we produce wireframes or any kind of, you know, back of a cigarette packet sketches, whatever they might be, uh, or source material from a client, maybe we just throw it all on in this space. Uh, it acts as a constant reminder. So if you're scrapbooking in a Flickr pool, or um, what is it, little snapper or something like that? Mm. That's fine, but it can be difficult to share, and it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. Uh, with the with the project space, it's brilliant because it's just there, mm. and you keep adding to it. And if you stuck for inspiration, um, two or three of us might, rather than just discuss this idea over Skype or um, as you do when you're in the same room, <laughs> sad as that is, um, or um, sort of face to face at our desk, we'll wander over to the project space. Where we're kind of surrounded mm. by the project, mm. um, and delve in and add to it, tear things up. Uh, I don't know. It, it works for us. Um, 
if you if you're a remote team and you've got people in different locations, it's maybe not so good. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a nice idea, and I think uh, you know, people like kind of uh, Clear Left and Mark Bolton and people like that. I've spoke to them, and I know they they do a similar thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just a it's a tip, but it doesn't work for everybody. Mm. You talked about community, and uh, and you had to rush through that a little bit because uh, you, you talk was overrunning. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? You, you again, you had bullet points of uh, of trust and uh, and brevity and things like that. Can you just take us through what you were what you were covering there? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, half an hour is never enough, really. Um, Flies by, don't especially it? when you waffle like I do. <laughs> Terrible. You should see me after a few pints. Actually, no, it's a bad idea. Um, yeah, basically, we have. Um, there are kind of. Uh, what would you call them? They're like little way markers or points to observe throughout the process. So, through that early collaboration with the audience or the or the client, we'll we'll define some key aims and objectives. Mm-hmm. But they're usually uh, project specific. But uh, I certainly believe that there are a number of conventions, if you like, or uh, almost courtesy items to be aware of when you're looking to create a community around a website. Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned trust. That's something I, I really think is important, mm-hmm. especially where you're asking people to submit their own information, uh, share information. And kind of confide in the site in a way. Uh, so it's very important that the user feels safe, secure. Um, this isn't just a fly-by-night website. Mm-hmm. I don't know why there aren't more Web2 applications that essentially uh, fish. You know, imagine if Flickr ended up being, you know, all that stuff, and then that was all going to be used in a, in a way we didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You need to build that trust. Um, so we'll look for certain devices. Um, we might fall out with a client over their choice of URL because if they're a business-to-business um, organization, mm. you don't want something jokey. Mm. Um, also, who's behind the site? Are there humans behind it? Mm. And how can we bring them into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, can we get them to write some kind of introduction? Can we make them visible? Can we make them contactable? Uh, so little things like that. Uh, and then other items on the list were classics such as you know brevity with content and uh, making things easy to find mm-hmm. I'm sure that's relevant regardless of the subject matter yeah, yeah. and so on okay um, you also mentioned uh, having a features roadmap mm. um, during the process of developing your site um, do you want to explain why that's yeah thing? I rushed through that as well didn't I mm. um, basically we, we often find that uh, the first meeting with a, a client, or you know, if we're building something for ourselves, mm-hmm. grandiose ideas, um, you want to kind of do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very important to uh, bring simplicity into whatever you do. Uh, it's a bit of a uh, an obvious thing to say when it comes to responsible design, but at the same time, you know, 37 Signals and other companies have talked about this stuff for years. Uh, I think many of us have learned from it. Uh, essentially, it's what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? Sometimes it falls in very smartly with the agile process. Um, what do we know about the audience uh, in terms of what we can throw at them and when? So we obviously favour uh, starting small. I was talking to somebody after the presentation about low expectations. Mm. Take that the wrong way, and it sounds quite negative. Mm. 
but I think you know it's just putting the bar somewhere where you can reach it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very negative thing if you launch a, uh, a site with all the bells and whistles in the world and then end up retracting too much mm-hmm. after launch. I think it's natural that some things will change and some things may be removed. But if you kind of visibly change your whole plan because you haven't really thought it through, I don't think that's very healthy. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, defining a roadmap, as we call it, um, probably others do as well, where we essentially outline what we'll do when and try to stick to that, but ensure it's malleable. So as we learn more, uh, we can rethink it. Think, oh, let's wait on that. And the way we reflect that with a client as well is uh, in a more tangible way, um, is we try to get rid of all the sort of the base camp noise um, and whatever other channels are in operation. Uh, reduce a project down to its deliverables. So we will have uh, I guess establishing a, if it's not too pretentious to say, a, a narrative to the project. So we, there's point A, and there's lots of things to click on, be they kind of uh, site maps or research findings, through to batches of wireframes and comps or prototypes and whatever. Um, we find that in tandem with that roadmap thinking uh, kind of illustrates uh, what we're trying to achieve and when. And, uh, I think it's, it's it can be reasonably easy for a, a client to buy into that. Mm-hmm. So it's okay, so okay. So I guess it's what you say, and then backing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so proof as you go along. So that leap of faith is kind of like, yeah, you were right. Um, so that seems to work quite well for us. Great. And you got everybody excited right at the end of your talk by showing them the, your ultimate package. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ladies. That must sound very odd coming over a, over a podcast. I'm sure it does. The yes, ultimate my ultimate package. package. <laughs> um, okay. Um, it would be really unfair of me to take credit for this. I do like the idea of um, conventions mm-hmm. in web design and development, um, whether it's navigation and using the word about mm-hmm. or contact. Mm-hmm. I think there's plenty of other areas to create and be do exciting things. Personally, as a web user, I like certain constants. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of conventions I love. In terms of actually building websites, um, we use a lot of them in our, in our development process. Um, so, for example, when we start a project, we actually start building it, whether it's a prototype, mm-hmm. Um, or even if we're just experimenting, um, we have a folder that we iterate. We're on version 1.9 of our ultimate package at the moment. Um, and we just drag it onto, we just FTP it. It's like a template. Yeah, yeah. basically. Uh, responsibility for this goes to the whole Erskine team. Uh, but specifically, uh, Greg Wood, uh, our lead designer, mm-hmm. um, who is kind of the custodian of this thing. So he's very passionate about it. Um, it'll be up to Greg whether I'm able to share some or all of it with you all eventually. I don't know. Um, and I'm sure other people have their own versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, you will have in the ultimate package um, some JavaScript files, the latest jQuery, um, some uh, stuff to control certain functions, um, any some JavaScript that will assist with IE6, mm-hmm. uh, PNG transparency, whatever it might be, uh, and then a, a cascade of CSS files. So our main screen.css with some basics in there, uh, reset.css, our own version of uh, Eric 
Mayer's reset CSS, mm-hmm. um, and things like a scratch file. So, if one of the, the one of my uh, colleagues wants to do some work in the CSS, mm-hmm. they do it in their own file, which cascades in. Right. So, um, you know, Greg or somebody can approve it or ditch it without it really having any great effect like on idea. the main that's style sheet, idea. if you like. Yeah. Again, that's that's something that Greg's introduced, and we, we all find that really useful. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I like that. And there's a few other bits and pieces in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of it is if you if you start working, you want to start working fast, mm-hmm. the, uh, the external JavaScript and CSS and so on is already linked up. Mm-hmm. So you can throw a function in very quickly mm-hmm. without thinking, oh, I must, why is it not working? Oh, I've not called it in the head of the mm-hmm. document. Mm-hmm. No, it's all kind of there mm-hmm. um, so you, you remove stuff as you go along but it's, it's there. and there, there are things that help us with expression engine builds and a few rules in there as well so that uh, we're all we're all on the same page if you like um, if I've not worked on a project at all uh, the person who might have led it is on holiday um, the client calls and they're in a panic I go into the into the code and I start looking for certain conventions. Mm-hmm. I know there will be a contents at the top of the, the main style sheet. Mm-hmm. I can, ah, 10.1, scroll down, find the flag for that. Um, so it works really well. Yeah. And if we're very, very lucky, we might get a chance to get a sneak I'll have to speak it. to Greg. <laughs> I, I'm really, I, I, I love the Greg, spirit Greg of sharing. Greg baby. Greg baby. Yeah, I don't know if I owe him any more beer but I'm sure that it's be a good involved. idea though for people to think about and if they're going to build their own anyway I like the idea of yeah, just use your own you know your your own conventions if you like mm-hmm. um, I, I love the spirit of sharing on uh, in this community mm-hmm. uh, especially we saw it through web standards and everything else and um, I've really benefited from people sharing this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, so you know hopefully we we will um, keep you posted if not there's some ideas uh, yeah, I've, I've already been asked today to write about how we go about producing it. So even if we don't share mm-hmm. um, the actual ultimate package. Okay, so keep, then, uh, keep an eye on your blog or Twitter feed. And yeah, that, that should yeah be so myself or Greg will probably put something together at some point about that. Fantastic. Okay, so well, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure to be on Boag World. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, so on to the listeners section, and we have a question, uh, just the one this week, because <laughs> uh, it's quite a good question, and I wanted to have a chat with you about it, uh, Stanton, cool. as well. So, uh, entitled, Improving Your Design Skills, and David Smith has written in to us uh, with the following question, or email. Uh, I have a question uh, for you regarding how to improve my design skills in order to further my career. I've been working professionally in the web industry for just over a year now. My current role involves web, desi- uh, web page design, web page development, HTML and CSS, and some work with server-side code. Of these three aspects of my job, I much prefer designing. Having, having listened to the feature of surviving the recession and hearing you telling us to specialise, I feel that I would like to become primarily a web designer. However, I have no formal graphic design qualifications. My degree is in music and history. And although I have produced numerous successful websites for clients, I don't feel my skills are developed enough to compete with true pros like yourself. Now, if he was writing this for Paul Borg, <laughs> he doesn't pay attention to the show. Really That's doesn't. It. Paul doesn't design anymore. Paul talks for a living. <laughs> uh, could... <laughs> 
fucking haters now. We're never going to be invited on the show again. He's the first one to admit it. That's true. Uh, could you or any of your team contact uh, team or contacts offer me and others like me some advice on what I could do to improve my web design skills? I've considered courses, but can't seem to find any that fit my requirements. I'd really appreciate your help. So I think this is a really good question um, because I've thought about it my uh, myself quite often, um, but it is quite. Uh, the answer is going to be quite ambiguous because um, everybody approaches learning differently so it's whatever fits you but I'll, um, I'll share with you a few of the things that I do to, uh, to develop my, uh, my design skills or have done to develop my design skills in the past I think one of the most important things when, um, when developing your design skills is to learn how to use your graphics program properly absolutely um, because it's not like um, it's not like painting. You know, you, you, you've got a simple tool. You've got a brush with paint on, and then your skill is making the picture. And obviously, different kinds of brushes and things <laughs> like that. But it's almost the other way around uh, when you're doing web design. You've got you you might have a great idea in your head, but bringing that to life within a graphics program, you've got a barrier there because you've got to learn how to use the tools, and you've got to learn how to achieve those effects in your graphics program. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I can't remember, I think it was one of those um, uh, you suck at Photoshop videos <laughs> where he's, uh, he's, saying, um, he's saying, yeah, we're going to select the pen tool here. Yeah, the pen tool. No, no, you want to go to your, to your magic wand. No, 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 we're going to go to the select tool. I'm going to show you how to use the other 500 quids with the uh, <laughs> <laughs> your software that you've never used before. And, uh, and I, think, I think it's very true. You've got to learn your software. Um, to do that, I think it's. I think. I think um, one of the things you should have. I mean, I'm a big Photoshop fan. Other people use Fireworks and Coral and Paint Shop, but whatever you use, it doesn't matter. I think getting a good reference book is important. Uh, for Photoshop, I can personally uh, recommend Ben Wilmore's Photoshop CS3 Studio Techniques. There is a CS4 version, but I've not read that yet. I don't think there's going to be much difference. Just he's going to add in a few extra features that are involved. Um, but it's a good reference uh, reference book. Um, Personally, I'd avoid the Photoshop Bible. Um, it's the worst Photoshop book I've ever seen. All the pictures are in black and white. How can you have a graphics design <laughs> book or a graphics program book in black and white? This is what the layer effect looks in this picture, and this has have to be applied. Up, you know, you know, mul multiply layer filter. Yeah, separate your RGB. This is what the RGB yeah. colour screen yeah. looks like. <laughs> grey, 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 grey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so avoid that, like the plague. And it's also the thickest book I've ever seen. Um, don't read the book from cover to cover. That's my first bit of advice because you won't learn. You'll, nothing will stick in. What you should do is just pick a tool or read a tutorial where it says, right, use the pen tool to do this. You don't know how to use the pen tool, so read up that bit in the book as a reference and just keep it on your shelf. It's really useful. There's also, you know, videos getting more and more popular on the web. Uh, there's loads of video tutorials and screencasts on how you can do and achieve multiple, you know, numerous effects. I love video tutorials. What better way to learn how to do design than to be shown? Yeah, especially you when know? they've got screencasts in, so Absolutely. you can see their their screens and exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and they're talking back to you, and you can rewind and you can watch a bit over and over again. Um, another good resource is Lynda.com. Now I keep I keep subscribing to Linda and then unsubscribing and then subscribing again because I'll find that I'll have a month where there's a few things I want to watch and then I won't use it for a couple of months and find that I've spent spent twelve quid a month <laughs> and uh, and think oh I'll just stop it because you're not tied into a year contract you can just have a you can just have a month's worth okay um, but Linda's fantastic they have little videos uh, you know you can pick a subject so for example Photoshop for argument's sake and um, 
and you can watch short videos taking you through how to use the different tools with examples and you keep working through the examples which is which is also good three to five minute videos and uh, and they're really really good examples of uh, you know of a good good example of how to learn a, you know program yeah um, another thing is I think you should challenge yourself I don't, I, um, it's quite e quite easy to play it safe you've got a certain set of, you, you, a certain level that you know you can design to yeah then you play it safe and you don't push yourself and I've, and often I've found that some of my best design work has come from you know trying to taking on maybe a project that's slightly too adventurous for me <laughs> but pushing myself to achieve it and uh, you know I'm not saying go for a huge blue chip company don't go for Virgin and say I'm going to redesign your entire website I'm going to do the <laughs> best design in the world you're going to flat on your face and loads of lawsuits possibly and stuff like that but something you know within your within your your means you know something within yeah. you know be realistic about it uh, so I think you know that's what I think and uh, courses I don't have any qualifications in graphic graphic design me neither um I don't know who if you if if anybody out there knows of any good courses that they've been on, leave a comment in the show notes. I went on a um, an illustration course, uh, Photoshop using Photoshop, um, a ten week course. not expensive, but um, I didn't learn very much, <laughs> um, and it was supposed to be an advanced course. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's the course or because I'm super talented. Um, <laughs> But I think it's really hard because I think I think it's hard to teach something like that. I think I think it's you know you can teach principles, but you can't teach skill, and you can't teach creativity as exactly. well, which is a, a big thing. You've got to have the ideas in the first place, to, yeah. and the passion and the want to actually achieve that effect. Yeah, and if when you're imagining your designs and you scribble them down on paper, mm. if they're flat and boxy, and that's all you want to do with them. Mm that's what you're ever going to achieve but if you're looking around the net taking inspiration and think wow I want to achieve that effect even if it's just a tiny little button that someone's made yeah start looking around and start learning how to achieve that effect mm -hmm. zoom in on it figure out what's going on mm -hmm. is it using a gradient is it using a drop shadow is it using cut out text mm -hmm. and then look at those elements and Absolutely. do it yourself and quite often you'll um, you'll stumble across your own twist of a similar effect you know and you can build upon it or you'll 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 start messing with layer effects and stuff and go oh god that's cool I wasn't expecting that and you know and, and then you'll remember and you'll come back to something so it's just it's just practice and and challenging yourself and learn but learning your tool your tools is the most important thing I think yeah um, I've been able to achieve so much more in Photoshop since I actually sat down and started learning how to I remember when I first learned how to use the pen tool my god what a breakthrough <laughs> that was the number of the number of you know number of possibilities that open up to you yeah. So, um, how do you go about um, developing your, or any particular skill, in fact, and not just necessarily design skills? When you want to learn something new, what approach do you take? Um, it normally stems from the fact that I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it, mm. and that's when the spark goes. And it's like, right, I need to figure this out. And for the last year, I've not done much design recently, just side projects, because that's the only chance I've had to actually do design. For the last year, I've been involved in the same project, and it's all PHP. <laughs> And that's all I've been hesitant, but still with that, it's right. I know how I want to churn through this this data, but I don't know exactly how to do it or the most efficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with design. You could build endless things with lesbon, lesbon layers, but is there a specific tool that will do it 
quickly and easily. Mm. And I guess it's for me it's a combination of just looking around, reading up, googling about, talking to other people is a big key, and especially if it's design based, it's fantastic if you sat in a room even if they're not designers, just to be able to show things to people, what do you think of this, what do you think of this? If you know people online, chat rooms, Twitter, anything, you start posting screenshots about. Mm. I've seen a couple of people put, share the screen, do a screen sharing session online. I think you can do it with Tiny Chat now. Right. You can host a, a web chat, share your screen, and actually just sit and work and have people feedback on what you're doing. The guys at um, Calsonified have done that a couple of times with uh, Twiggy, I think, when they did that web app in a week. Mm. They had, it wasn't, I don't think they did it live, but they did it after the fact they'd show <coughs> uh, a screencast of their entire day. Mm. And watching the designers, I can't remember if it was, I think it might have been Mike, Mike Coos, mm-hmm. a, sp- a kind of fast forward version through an entire day of his yeah. workflow and just seeing really quickly flashing by what was going on and just how much stuff got binned. Yeah, yeah. He'd go down a complete wrong direction, or not wrong direction, but change his mind mm. and scrap mm. it. And it might have been an hour's work, but don't be afraid to make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, I think the main thing I do is carry a sketchbook or a, mm. a notebook around at all times. I've got one in my bag, and I might just have an idea if I'm mulling over the idea of a, a design that I've got to make or figuring out how... I want a specific element to look, whether it's a login form, and start from basic sketches, right, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, and then expand across it. Pencil and paper on a, your commute or whatever, or just sat watching TV, is mm. nothing. you scribble away quite happily, try different things, it doesn't cost anything. Because no. for me, I, I do that in dead time, time that I'm not sat at a computer trying to get something done mm-hmm. but when I'm watching TV or when I'm eating or something like that or on the bus I'll just scribble away bits of bit bean and mixed in yeah it's, <laughs> it's an interesting effect is yeah. tomato sauce on the design you can start to bring in colour through your food I think another thing as well is um, build up um, build up your own little resource I get a use little snapper or something like that to take screenshots of things that you like and elements of things that you like and also you know get on delicious and, and bookmark tutorials and sites and things that inspire you and you enjoy so you can come back to them later and even if you see a tutorial that you um, you really like the look of you haven't got time to go through now you'll remember that you've seen that and if you've bookmarked it and you've given it a good enough tag when you're wanting to achieve that kind of effect you can go and have a look at that tutorial and, and follow through it then into, yeah. you know, try and so do I keep that. meaning to do that because I, mm. I don't I just get so much stuff that goes past me on a day to day basis that I keep meaning to to start bookmarking sites, but I rely on things like Pattern Tap and Design Meltdown. Mm-hmm. And the Design Meltdown book is fantastic. If mm-hmm. when I'm starting a design, I'll just flick through it. And there's always that quote of uh, "Good designers copy great designers steal." It's not really stealing, but I'll just get inspiration. I think, oh, that that would work really well for the right hand mm-hmm. column, mm-hmm. or a big chunky footer like that would work quite well. Mm-hmm. And just things that you've not seen before mm. is key so you might have all this stuff bookmarked but then I think you might be in risk of always doing the same thing Yeah, yeah. whereas if you've got unprompted things going past you all the time mm. you might see something oh that's really good is that mm. I mean it's like um, it's like mood boards isn't it it's like it, it kind of a huge mood board you know you get different elements together to get a feel for a type of design that you're wanting to do Yeah. and you can you know you can go down an avenue where you want to achieve a certain feel and if you if you if you build up your own resources well enough you can go through 
purple sites and see what kind of effects different people are doing. Yeah. And that might, or it might, you might see something completely different that inspires you to do something kind of new in that kind of theme. Yeah. You know, but it's just about not restricting yourself in any way. It's, you know, pen, pen and paper are vital. Learn your tools and and build up your resource and and gleam as much inspiration. You gl- and, and inspiration can be gleaned from so many different things as well, not just websites. So look to um, the outside world, just yeah. open your eyes, look up. I'll do it when I'm walking through uh, Leeds City Centre. Yeah. Everyone is looking at eye level. But mm-hmm. if you look up, so, cause it's all like the Victorian architecture and mm-hmm. stuff like that, it's absolutely amazing when, when people actually look up and think, oh, bloody hell, how much work went into the top of that building yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's got all little individual stuff carved yeah. out of it. No one does that anymore. Yeah. Have a have a camera with you as well. I mean, most people have on the phone now, and the quality of the camera you get on your phone is quite you'd normally quite good. Yeah. But um, I've got a little compact camera, which nine times out of ten is in my uh, my man bag. <laughs> man bag. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, you, you see something interesting, take a picture of it. And, yeah. You know, and you just build up your resource and dip into it when needs be. So that's that is a rant, and it's <laughs> and it's it's a bit of a it's a bit ambiguous an answer anyway because like I say everybody's different, everybody's different how they learn. Um, leave some comments if if you've got some good techniques uh, that you'd like to share with David. So we believe it or not, we've come to the end of the show. Well, that was quick. That was very quick, wasn't it? Well, hopefully, it won't seem so quick when the interviews. In- interviews <laughs> so, so we are back next week with the lovely Sarah Parmenta. Cool. She's joining us again. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do next week. We've got to do a feature. So I've got, <laughs> a, couple, I've got a couple of ideas. Cool. It should be something special. <laughs> so, uh, so join us again next week, and then you're back to Paul and Marcus after that. So thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hello, world of Boeing.